Introducing Mindful Parenting in a Messy World with Michelle Gale. This podcast is for parents who long to be meaningfully connected to themselves and their children, even as the demands of modern life are accelerated. Enjoy a collection of supportive conversations, meditations, and nuggets of practical wisdom to help you embrace the parenting journey as your greatest potential for personal growth. Welcome to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. I am your host, Michelle Gale, and I am here with a friend and colleague, Mark Coleman. Mark is also my teacher. Mark has practiced Buddhist meditation since 1984. He is a spirit rock meditation teacher and has been teaching insight meditation retreats since 1997. He also leads wilderness meditation retreats from Alaska to Peru, integrating mindfulness meditation with nature. He's the author of Awake in the Wild, Mindfulness in Nature as a Path of Self-Discovery, and Make Peace with Your Mind, How Mindfulness and Compassion Can Help Free You from the Inner Critic. Mark's life coach and mindfulness consultant to corporations. He's an avid outdoor enthusiast and passionate about combining the forces of meditation, silence, and nature. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Michelle. Great to be here. Nice to have you. And we are going to hone in on your book, Make Peace with Your Mind, How Mindfulness and Compassion Can Help Free You from the Inner Critic, because parents are racked with guilt <laughs> a lot. We might be some of the guiltiest people on the planet. So I would, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and how this book came to be and how your interest in the inner critic emerged in, in the work that you've done. Sure. Well, like many people, like probably most of your listeners, I uh, have a pretty strong, had a very strong inner critic from, I recognized it sort of my late teens. I was a pretty unhappy young man. I was angry and um, thought the world was to blame for all my problems and mm. I was an anarchist and a punk and uh, very confused. And um, so eventually stumbled on a meditation center and it was after learning about mindfulness and I began to be aware of my own mind and the thoughts and the judgments. And I, and I was, it was a huge, really a wake up call to realize, wow, I'm really, really hard on myself. I'm mean, I'm put myself down. I'm unforgiving. I have these hopelessly high standards. And as I'm sure you can relate and, um, yeah. And it's like, oh, this is, this is so much the cause of my misery. Not, not you know, the, the world is one thing, but what I'm doing and saying to myself was really, you know, mean and punishing and the uh, mm. cause of a lot of, a lot of hardship, unnecessary hardship. Wow. So that was a wow. big wake up. And did you really just stumble on the Buddhist meditation center? It was just like an accident or were you interested in it first? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, w I was definitely, you know, unhappy and looking, but I had no idea really what spiritual seeking was or what I was looking for. And I, and I actually was squatting this Buddhist housing association house and they were very kind not to kick me out. And I um, ended up going to the meditation center, which was literally around the corner. And so I did sort of stumble into it. Oh, I squatted mm. my way into Buddhist. squatted <laughs> your way. That's a good story. And... Um, and then I, you know, I walked in and I, and I saw these people who just had a lot of presence and a lot of, you know, 
just really a lot of awareness and 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 there's a glisten in their eye and I thought they I knew they were onto something. I didn't quite know what it was, but I knew they had something that I didn't have that I wanted to learn about. And then I, you know, I started cultivating mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation, which was the two main practices they taught. And they were great. They were great medicine. You know, both you know, mindfulness, as you know, as your listeners know, it helps you develop awareness. But the kindness practice, the loving kindness, was actually really pivotal because I had so much self-hatred and and self-judgment that the kindness the loving kindness practice even though it was super hard for the first few years to, to really be genuinely able to be warm and friendly to myself over time it actually melted what i felt like was an iceberg in my heart that slowly allowed me to feel a sense of friendliness and goodwill and self-acceptance and mm. forgiveness and, and over the years that's really strengthened and grown and so I have a lot of gratitude for those two practices for both revealing, you know, what was going on and also providing these healing you know, tools, you know, to, to soften and melt the heart. Mm. And, and we all have an inner critic, right? I mean, everybody has one. Nobody is free of Pretty one. Pretty much. I, I do meet the occasional people who, and they really stand out because when, when, when you meet someone who just doesn't have that negative, critical, nagging voice, and they do things and they make mistakes and they laugh and they, you know, fail at things and they just reframe it as a learning opportunity. And you go, wow, that's really a different way of <laughs> looking at things. And so occasionally people get off lightly. Um, but I'd say most people, probably in the 95 percentile, or 95% of people um, have some kind of critical negative voice that's, you know, very very negatively skewed towards what's wrong, what's problematic, what's not enough, and doesn't see ourselves very clearly or accurately. And I think, you know, I love the work that you're doing with parents. And I, and I think, you know, parenting is one of the hardest things in, to do in life. And also one of the things that I see parents being the most critical of themselves for, because who can do parenting right? Because there is no right, but it's such a hard, long-term, beautiful and challenging role. And, so I think it's really important that parents also learn about the critics so they're not so hard on themselves. Yeah, so they get to know them. And as they get to know them, um, that's where you kind of mentioned, you know, people kind of seem to laugh at themselves when they, you know, don't have a strong inner critic. So it seems like humor uh, and lightness <laughs> is one of the outcomes of, of this practice and just getting to know that inner critic and and for our kids you know our kids if we have a strong inner critic that kind of comes out in family life too I certainly know it does in my family yeah I, I have a chapter in the book called the swing door of the critic and and basically the premise of that chapter is you know what goes in goes out what goes out goes in so if we spend all day with ourselves beating ourselves up of course when the kids come home from school guess what we're going to do we're going to be critical of them and in the same way if we're critiquing our partner and everybody else in the world, when we come home and it's only us or our kids, they're going to be, or we're going to be on the receiving end of that judging voice. So it's really important. And that's where the mindfulness is important to begin to get to see, you know, the difference between a normal, just a regular thought, like the clouds, you know, it's a foggy day in San Francisco versus, you know, I really did a bad job, you know, making my kids lunch this, this morning. And to see how, how much the mind turns towards that negative lens and, um, you know, and has very 
painful consequences. Yeah, in my case, it would be I forgot to send them with lunch. (laughs) 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 I sent the wrong lunch. Um, where do you think the inner critic comes from? How do we get it? Like babies aren't born with an inner critic, are they? Right. Yeah, as far as I know, they're not. They come in. They come in very open and happy and loving and peaceful. And and then you know, I think just a lot of conditioning. You know, we we were very influenced by our parents, family, church, siblings, peers at school. And, you know, a lot of those voices, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, they can be both kind and loving, but also critical and judgmental. And, you know, we hear a lot of shoulds and, and, and standards and, and, and ways that we compare ourselves. And so I think, you know, we internalize the, the voices. We, we, we partly, we internalize those voices because we need to fit in, you know, as, as, as a young, vulnerable infant, you know, we need to ensure that we optimize love and kindness and, and, and affection from our family and, 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 and friends. And so we, so we, we listen to those, you know, the censures, the, 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 you know, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. And then we internalize that. We internalize those voices. So they become sort of, you know, entrenched in stone and we start to actually believe those messages to be true. So, um, you know, in every family, every society, every religion has its do's and its don'ts. And um, we tend to internalize those uh, with quite negative consequences. Mm. And so, um, and then over time, they just get strengthened, you know. So if you were told you were, you know, maybe you weren't as smart as your, you know, older siblings, you know, so you internalize being stupid, you know, or maybe you're not as slim or as athletic as your siblings. And so you internalize, you know, being fat or being slow or being, you know, clumsy or, and so the critic, um, you know, it, it, the critic arises, actually arises out of wanting to protect us and take care of us from getting, you know, harmed mm. by family, friends, culture, but, um, you know, and it serves a function and then, but it sort of, it, it, it's almost like it, it, it outgrows itself, but it's, it maintains itself. And I mean, we maintain these ideas and narratives that we're not good enough, not smart enough, not cute enough, not fast enough or whatever it is. And that's become the source of this very negative habit. And as we know with neuroscience, that what we, what we do and what we think and what we you know, practice, you know, becomes who we are. And so if we've developed this critical judging voice, it, it starts to grow and mushroom and then, and then start, you know, and then it extrapolate, it follows us around, you know, so when you become parents, then suddenly you have a, a critic that's, that's a parenting critic. And when you, you know, learn an instrument, it becomes a musician critic. And when you become a meditator, it becomes a meditation critic. And so it starts to infiltrate into everything that we do. Yeah, and you can really see how mindfulness plays a role in all of this because we can't be even be aware of our inner critic unless we have this kind of ability to be meta-aware and to be able to even see our thoughts. Can you talk a little bit more to that? I mean, yeah, mindfulness yeah. Playing all this? Yeah, no, I think it's, I mean, you know, mindfulness is this amazing capacity we have to be aware of our own experience. And, you know, so mindfulness practice helps develop that. And particularly one of the first things that we notice when we start meditating and, you know, turning our attention inwards is we start to see how much we think 
and we also might see how much of our thinking is uh, negative or critical or slightly distorted. And um, so we start to hear more vividly the presence of the judging mind. Yeah. And, and if we actually listen to it, and, and, and as I have uh, my, my students do on, on, in a critic workshops, is I have people write down their judgments, I have them share them with other people and share them with people that know them and to see how distorted they are. You know, most people's critics are not a very accurate description of who they are. It it is particularly fixated on faults, shortcomings, and so it's a very imbalanced perspective. And, of course, those critical voices tend to be louder than, than the other internal thoughts, and so we end up having this very... You know, negative, distorted self-perception, and then it impacts our self-worth and our value and our, our goodness and our well-being. And so, the mindfulness is 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 the key for recognizing. Oh, you know, you know, what am I thinking? And are these thoughts critical? And are these accurate? And how do they affect me? Because you know, we also want to see how they land. You know, land. You know, I think the inner critic is the leading cause of depression. You know, dep- depression is wow. an epidemic in the country. And I think when you listen to this voice that tells you you're bad, stupid, not good enough, and a failure long enough, you will feel depressed. You know, it's a, it's a guaranteed recipe. Yeah. So I think mindfulness helps us begin to unhook that process of seeing both what we think and also how much we believe those thoughts, how much we are identified with those thoughts as if they're really true, which quite often they're not. Yeah, and I feel like with parents in particular, um, you know, I think we often feel, I mean, that we're not good enough just rings so true. Like everybody thinks they're screwing up their kids, <laughs> you know, they think they're not doing it right. And, you know, in reality, we probably all are, right? Nobody gets parented perfectly, but of course. the more aware that we are, the more we have that access to mindfulness, um, the more we get to know our inner critic and don't kind of buy into all the, all the BS that it feeds us, then we can just be more clear with our parenting. Um, it feels like the guilt, like I know for me, the guilt kind of fades away because I have some self-compassion for myself and I realize, you know, everybody goes through this. It's not just me. Right. And um, yeah, and I just don't take it very seriously. So I feel like this is so helpful for parents, particularly around this idea that, you know, they're not doing it right. That someone right. else must be doing it better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know, and it's one of the the sort of the, the ways that the mind gets distorted is is yeah, it sets up this idealized scenario of you know the neighbors or the the folks at school or you know somebody somebody's doing it perfectly or doing it right or um, doing it in a way better than I'm doing it. You know, and of course we we all do what we can and we do the best we can and. Um, I'm a big fan of good enough parenting because there's no such thing as perfect parenting. And, um, and, and, and it's just so obvious when we be, become more aware of our thoughts, we see how much we create misery for ourselves. You know, we, we think everyone's, you know, we project the critic out. We think everybody's criticizing us for our, for our style of parenting. And we, we believe uh, everybody's doing it better. And of course, everybody's like us struggling and, and thinking the same thoughts. Like, yeah. oh, I, I wonder when I'm ever, ever going to get this together. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I know you offer your readers a whole toolbox of practical exercises they can use to work with the critic. And we love to be practical on this podcast. So I wonder if you'd share one or two of your favorites from the book and give them a little sneak peek into the book as well. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, so one of them, as I mentioned earlier, is the practice of loving kindness. So the loving kindness practice um, which I draw from my Buddhist training is very, it's a very simple practice. It's really the repetition of phrases that express our deepest wish for ourselves. So it might be, may I be peaceful? May I be happy? May I be free from pain? May I, may, may life flourish? May I know love and be loved? And the reason why I think that practice is so important is that it's, it's using phrases in the same way that the inner critic uses phrases, like you're not good enough, you're stupid, you're a failure. But it's supplanting those critical ideas with very positive, kind, loving, affirming phrases. And I think over time, that if, if you do take that on as a practice, both as a meditation, but also just remember to say those phrases to yourself. And I encourage people, every time they notice a judgment, to say a phrase, a loving kindness phrase after each judgment likes, oh, so the phrase might be, you know, the, the, the statement might be, well, that was a, you know, you were just a horrible parent the way you snapped at your kids today. And, and then you add, may I be happy? Yeah, but you know, your house is a mess and you're, you know, and your car's a mess and, and may I be peaceful. And you just, you, you keep recognizing the critic and you add a kind statement afterwards. So you're kind of neutralizing the critic, but more importantly, you're learning to turn towards yourself with this very genuine, kind, caring uh, wish. And over the years, and I noticed this for myself, and I see this in you know, thousands of people I've worked with over the years, that you know, when you, when you, it's like drop, putting drops of, you know, drops of kindness in the bucket. Over, over time, it overflows. It takes a while, but you're giving this um, very strong message to yourself that you matter, care kind and then another practice that i that i like teaching a lot about is is humor you know i think you know as we as you alluded to earlier that you know we're you know we're we're, we're eccentric we're as human beings that you know will will do one thing and, and and we'll say one thing and do another thing and, and we often contradict ourselves and say we want to be happy but then do all these things that, that make us unhappy and like judge ourselves and compare ourselves and put ourselves down and so, um, you know, it's, it's important to find a sense of humor with the critic and, and, to, and to find a sense of lightness if you can. So, um, you know, for instance, uh, we all have cues where the critic will, will, come, will come up. You know, maybe it's you shouting at your kids or, um, you know, the house is a mess and, and, and a friend's dropping off their kids and you're horrified that they're going to see the state of your kitchen or something and yeah. uh, for me it's being late uh, especially when I'm late to teach meditation because then I get stressed and I'm supposed <laughs> to be teaching mindfulness and, and calm and I get stressed and and I know it's a set off I lose my keys you know mindfulness people are supposed to know where things are and I lose my keys a lot and so I I know when my critic's going to come up because it's sort of predictable it's, it's a knee-jerk reaction to, to stress or potentially feeling vulnerable and and, and so when I hear it come up saying, oh, you know, you know, you lost your keys again. That's really kind of stupid. And I say, yep, Mr. Mindfulness wins the day again. And I just joke with myself and, and so it kind of undercuts the sting of the critic. So I'm holding it lightly or, I, or I'll just say to myself, 
you know, when I hear the critic, I'll just say, oh, please, really? That's, that's the most creative thing you have to say about, <laughs> about me missing, you know, appointment or something. Or, so, so if we can hold it lightly um, and, and see the, 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 the wackiness of it, you know, it is helpful. Yeah, you know, in, in that first example, the first practice you offered, you gave um, the example of loving kindness. And you said, you know, early on in the call, you said it, it took you some time, you know, as you were telling yourself those words. Um, you know, what do you think that is for people? Why, why do they have a hard time? Why do we have a hard time being kind to ourselves? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. You know, I think... I think it's partly from a sort of Judeo Christian culture. You know, there's a, you know, I grew up Catholic and there was, um, you know, as much as the, the original teachings are about love and loving one's neighbor. And there does seem to be this idea that loving oneself is somehow self-indulgent, selfish, and, um, you know, just not very, um, almost unchristian in a certain way. So I, and I, I certainly felt that that message and, and I've certainly been told many times, especially in my early years, that meditation and all that was self-indulgent and, and, and navel-gazing and, you know, no good to anybody or society. And so, um, you know, I think it's partly cultural conditioning. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, and I think it just, you know, I think the, the critic, you know, the, all these habits like the critic, they're, they're intergenerational, right? We, we inherit our judgments from our family and society. And so that sense of putting ourselves down is, has been around for a long time. Yeah. So. yeah. And I wonder, um, you know, I know I've spoken to people who feel like, you know, their inner critic gives them an edge. You know, it makes them be able to get things done and if they weren't hard on themselves, they wouldn't do anything. Um, right. What do you say to people like that? Yeah, well, that, that is a very common, you know, I get that. It's a, probably the first question that comes up in my workshops is, you know, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, you know, and I need my snap quick judgment to make, you know, effective decisions. And, and I ask them, you know, is that voice really the most effective place for, um, for making decisions, you know. So, for example, um, one of the things that I think is so detrimental about the critical voice is it thwarts the capacity in that moment to investigate and inquire what's going on. So say, for example, you, you know, your kids come home from school, you're excited to see them, and then they say something, you get triggered, and you react, and you shout, and then you feel terrible because the critic's on your case for being a terrible parent and you shouldn't shout, blah, blah, blah. When the critic's judging you like that, there's no room in the, in the mind available in that moment to go, wait a minute, what just happened? I was really looking forward to seeing my kids. They said something. I snapped. Like, how can I learn from this? What was it that they did that they said that was so triggering? What button, button in me got pressed that I was so quick to fire off this, you know, this angry comment? So the critic just shuts us down and says, you're bad, you're stupid. How can you be, you know, you say you're a nice parent, but you're not, right? And so it shuts down the, the capacity to learn and actually grow from that situation. Mm. So it could, could also kind of lead us towards, you know, if we, if we hear it and we notice it, then it kind of points us to how we have to work on ourselves too, right? I mean, it could be, it can kind of play both roles, I imagine. 
It can. The, the problem with, with listening to the critic to remind us about how we need to work is that rather than inspiring us to work on ourselves, it more just makes us feel bad. Mm. And when we feel bad, I always say, you know, feeling bad is rarely a good motivator to do anything oh. except feel more shame and a little hopeless and a little depressed and a little lethargic and a little cloudy brain. You know, the, but when the judgments are flying, usually, like I, I'm a writer and so when I'm at my desk and, and I knew you are too with your new book and you know, I'll start off feeling all excited because I love to write. And then I'll, I'll notice, you know, or I won't notice there's some little judging thoughts in the back, like, who are you to write? You've got nothing to say. Nobody wants to listen anyway. <laughs> and over, if, I, if those thoughts go unnoticed, I start feeling cloudy. I start feeling heavy. I start feeling a little sleepy, a little dull. And emotionally, I start to feel a little sort of low and sort of un uninspired. And all of a sudden, you know, what went from a very inspired, excited moment to write suddenly becomes thick and cloudy. And I'm, you know, in the kitchen eating cookies and drinking coffee. And we're like, what happened? <laughs> and it's because I didn't catch all those effects of the critic, you know, which yeah. cloudy brain, low energy, kind of sort of emotional ickiness. So, you know, and so to back to that comment, the question about, you know, I need the, the judge to help me make better decisions. You know, we we have many other faculties in our in our mind, like conscience, like um, uh, you know, like cognitive skills. Mm -hmm. just, you know, just other healthy decision making processes, um, discernment. Uh, you know, our ability to evaluate and process and and weigh up things like th those. We don't need the critic for those for those functions, and so. That's why there's a, I have a chapter in the book called Understanding the Difference Between Discernment and Judgment. Right? We all need discernment. Yeah. You need to, you need to see yeah. kids come home from school and they look a little down. You want to have your discerning hat on to know, hey, it seems like they're a little low, a little dispirited, what's going on? Whereas the judge, you know, just it's, it's very simplistic and it doesn't allow much subtlety for investigation and, and we really need that for life and work and parenting and all that mm. i have one more question then we're almost out of time it's hard to believe um one of your chapters titles is giving up hope of a better past can you explain what you mean by that and why it's important to to do that yeah so so that phrase comes in the context of forgiveness and mm. um you know, we can be so hard on ourselves for things we've said and done, and especially with parenting, but also with, with many life things, relationship, you know, money choices. And, um, you know, whatever we've done and said in, in the past, and even the recent past, you know, is done. And the critic loves to look at what we've done with 2020 vision and, and say, well, you know, that was stupid. You should have done this instead of that, or you should have told your kids to do this and not that or go to this college and not that college or make this decision not that decision. and so um you know and it's very unfair to judge ourselves with 2020 hindsight because you know we all do the best we can with the information and the skills we have in the moment you know yeah and looking back one day one year 10 years later it's easy to go, well, of course, you know, I should have invested in that company, not this company, yeah. <laughs> you know, or gone to this school, not that school, and bought this house, not this house. But, you know, it doesn't really, it, it's not, it's just not really a valid, you know, we can maybe learn, but normally what happens is the judge comes in very quickly 
and says, you know, you're a failure or stupid because look what happened. And, you know, and it's just really an unfair, um, uh, you know, sort of assessment because we didn't have that knowledge of what the stock market or the school system or our kids were going to need back then as we do now. So, so, this, so it's important just to notice what happened and, and you know, to, to really accept what happened and accept, acknowledge we do the best we can and then we have to let go. We have to go, okay, this is, this is what happened. This is what I can learn because the critic interferes with the learning. But, you know, when we bring a you know, clear kind of a, you know, a discerning mind to it, we can go, okay, here's what I learned. And I'll, and I'll make an intention to, do, to make better choices in the future. Not because I'm stupid or bad, but because I really want to, you know, be a better person or a better parent. Yeah. And because I'm human. Because I'm human. And right. we make mistakes. Yeah. And parents make a lot of them. Yes, and we all do. <laughs> and then we recover. Yeah, but I really appreciate that. And I especially appreciate earlier when you talk about just bringing humor and lightness. And, um, you know, I think when I hear those voices and I, I kind of say, yeah, yeah, I, we've heard that before. <laughs> you know, we've heard that before. It really helps me move move forward because those voices don't ever go away completely, right? I mean, right. they're still there. And But I think as we practice over time, they get quieter and, and maybe who knows, maybe they still might be coming just as often, but you're just so used to not taking, taking them seriously. You just don't pay them any mind. Right. Yeah. I talk about, there's a chapter in the, in the latter part of the book about, you know, life beyond the critic. And one of the, the criteria I have really, is not, not so much whether the critic disappears or not, because, you know, these mental habits tend to stay around for a long time, but what, how much we believe it or how much we give it attention or how much we take it to be true. So, so mostly what I'm encouraging people over time, once they've understood the critic and where it's come from and all of that, is to, is to ultimately to be somewhat disinterested in, in a bit like we might have a neighbor with a yapping dog. And over time, you know, the, the dog's not going away, but we just learn to shift our attention to something else more interesting, more useful, more positive. Um, and that allows us to not be so bothered by it. Mm. Love that. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share all of your wisdom about the inner critic with our listeners. And I definitely want everyone to know how to get in touch with you. So could you share your website? What's your website? Sure. Your so website? my main website is um, uh, markcoleman.org. That's mark with a K, coleman.org. And you can find information there about my mindfulness teaching and my critic work and my teacher trainings and whatnot. And I, I do have a couple of inner critic workshops coming up. I have one at Spirit Rock on December 2nd. And I also have... And that's online. So anyone can do that from anywhere in the world, right? The one at Spirit Rock? Maybe. I'm not sure about that. I would like that to be true. I'm, but I'm, I'd have, you'd have to check with Spirit Rock about that. Okay. And that's December um, 2nd. And then I know yes. you have one... Yes, at 1440 Versity, which is near Santa Cruz, and that's happening in November 17th to 19th. It's a residential weekend workshop. And I really highly recommend people going if this topic is of interest because it's really nice to have a, a, a weekend to kind of do a deep dive into how to uproot some of these uh, very challenging uh, forces in the mind. Yeah, and the 1440 Multiversity is just a beautiful campus. So it would be a really beautiful place to practice with you. 
So thank you, Michelle. Lovely to be uh, on your podcast. Yeah, thank you for being here with us, Mark. And we'll say goodbye to our listeners. May you meet this moment fully. May you meet this moment with kindness towards yourself and others. Thanks for listening to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World with Michelle Gale. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share our podcast with a friend and give us some stars and a favorable review at iTunes.